Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Flynn's Talk podcast, aiming to highlight, I suppose, uh, well-being cam within the veterinary field and, and looking at the ways all different people contribute to the veterinary field and help it tick. Um, but we like to explore the topic of mental health and well-being in particular. Mate, welcome to you and thanks for jumping into the, the co-host chair for this one. Thank you. Good to be back. All well in your hood, mate? Oh, yeah. I just plugging away that time of year sort of picking up from um a bit of a quieter time over mm. over christmas and new years and things are hotting back up again yeah it's good well and it's the first time we've had you back in this new season and of course mate before we just get too far along a quick shout out to our partner in 2022 which is Covetris uh, global technology solutions who are helping to power the veterinary field um, with back-end support and helping clinics to run effectively and efficiently and spend more of their time helping uh, vets and others working in clinics to spend more of their time focused on the client care and building those relationships. And really, they've got on board with this podcast to help us get more of the stories like today's out to more people, um, just to keep building that awareness and spread the good word. So, um, mate, an awesome one today. I'm particularly excited Mm -hmm. because it's an area that is a bit foreign to me. And, and putting yourself outside of your comfort zone is a good thing, right? Um, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to this one. So tell us a little bit about um, today's discussion and our guests. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking with some amazingly accomplished people um, who are both uh, both involved with the Australasian Veterinary Boards Council. We've got Dr. Julie Strauss, who has been the executive director of the AVBC for, for a while now. Um, and we've also got Dr. Zoe Lennard, who is chairing the new Sustainable Practice Committee that's mm. been set up uh, under the AVBC. Um, they're trying to, to tackle several issues that affect a lot of, a lot of vets. Um, so, yeah, today it would be amazing to, to learn a bit more about what the AVBC does, it's mm. um, I think it's a bit of a, a mystery to certainly a lot of people who aren't vets and, and even some of us who are. So um, learning a bit more about that, what they're sort of doing in in this area, um, and all the yeah all the brilliant things that can come out of that. Um, I've I've had a little bit to do with with Julie yeah um, for a little yep. while now. She was actually pretty critical to me becoming a vet in the first place. Um, I was a bit uncertain about what path to head down when I started uni and mm. um, after a discussion with her, it's, you know, she suggested to me that um, being a vet opens up a lot of doors and, and that's definitely come to pass. So um, mm. I'm very grateful to her for that. So looking forward to our discussion. Yeah, awesome, mate. And that's cool that there's already that personal connection into this. And, you know, one thing I certainly have seen is a lot of people, like, it's not that big a world in the veterinary field. Lots of people know each other mm. and we found that through our podcast series um, where we get referred on to talk to someone else or grab a, grab a different guest and everyone's so generous with their time always, which is awesome too. So, mate, keen to get into this one. So, um, what do you reckon? We get cracking? Let's do it. Cam, I I nearly put my floaties on this morning because... There's there's been a lot of flooding around Australia, and I'm not making light of that. But um, I feel a bit out of my depth here this morning in this podcast because 
three amazingly talented people um, and, and I'm just the guy that owns a cat. Um, but, of course, people know the story and for why I'm involved in this and, I, and I'm deeply entrenched in it. But I'm um, joined by two amazing guests today. First of all, Dr. Julie Strauss, um, welcome to you. Thanks very much, Jack. And don't forget that you and your cat are the reason we exist. So I think you should be feeling pretty special this morning. We're oh, here thank for you. you. Yeah, well, despite my cat Evie's best efforts to destroy my microphone um, a few days ago. <laughs> We're good. Uh, joining us from Perth, and I have to say it's just after 10 a.m. Melbourne time and Perth doesn't do daylight savings, so it's just a touch after 7 a.m. Zoe, uh, thank you for joining us from WA. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for having me. We're going to get into a whole range of stuff and we're going to talk about the Sustainable Practice Committee that the um, Australian Australasian Vet Board Council um, has set up. And before I do that, Julie, firstly with you, I reckon it's a great place to start just to tell the people listening a little bit of your story, the pathway to where you are now, and your role as Executive Director, uh, which you've been in for some nearly 20 years. Yeah, 20 years, February. Yeah, it's my anniversary. Incredible. And you'll <laughs> yeah. take us, you know, give, give us a little bit of the Julie Strauss story and, and your pathway through veterinary science to where you are now. And I think it's amazing to share that because people listening, um, I think part of what we've tried to do through this show as well is share the many different ways you can take a veterinary degree. Yes. I, I realised um, being not so young anymore, uh, it's quite a long story. So I am going to do my best, but if, I'll watch for a glazed look on your eyes and then I'll, I'll stop. But um, so um, I, I grew up in Brisbane um, in one of the beautiful leafy parts uh, in the forest with bandicoots and gum trees and um, all of that uh, idyllic stuff. And um, but went to uh, to school in, in quite a poor area of, um, of Brisbane. I was one of the first kids to go to university from there. Um, and I was 16 when I started veterinary science. So I just want to give you a bit of a naive um, con context for, for me starting uh, veterinary science. Um, and um, But also I'd become a very keen Christian and I decided I did not want to um, waste my life. Um, so after third year, um, I took off and went to Papua New Guinea and I set up a barefoot vet scheme up there um, and paddled a dugout canoe down the Flyer River. Um, pretty useless, but um, I learned a, a great deal and a, a great appreciation for how people do things in, in other cultures. Um, when I graduated eventually in 1981, um, I thought I could run a country veterinary practice, um, just like the TV vets, all by myself. Um, and um, at that stage, um, vet boards seemed quite faceless and distant, um, like the Supreme Court or, or God. And, um, and, but it was always there. I never wanted to face that unfavourable um, judgment. Um, and as a local vet, it was a really interesting country practice. You know, there were geese and there were donkeys or cows, you name it. And I, I loved it. But being on call for um, a full year, I was in a lovely little community. It was a little hippie community, which suited me. Um, but I did get burnt out, and um, uh, and I, I guess that a lot of that motivates what I'm doing now um, in terms of transition to practice, supporting uh, young veterinarians when they when they do go into practice. So um, I then I studied a little bit more, um, unsurprisingly, theology. 
um, but also um, animal production in developing nations. <laughs> it feels a bit ridiculous when I list all of these things. Um, I built a mud brick house and I helped set up a, a wilderness school in East Gippsland called MLC Marshmead uh, and lived there teaching um, environmental education, humanities, and I was also the chaplain and farm manager there. And that was for four years. Of course, I got burnt out again, left the church, left my marriage, um, went to the dark side, did business school, Melbourne Business School, and um, but brought all of the, the good things, I hope, and all of my good values um, when I started at ABBC, which was 20 years ago. You, it looked like you weren't expecting that. <laughs> but uh, that's been my uh, Goanna path, as um, the old vet Tom Hungerford would have said. Extraordinary. Put aside the fact such an amazing tenure with the um, AVBC to have done all of that other stuff in and amongst it before, it, you know, uh, as well is, is fascinating to me. We could probably <laughs> go into just an audio book um, around kind of kind of the adventures and the journeys and <laughs> the life of Julie. Lots of adventures. Uh, Zoe, for you, I'm sure a, a unique path as well for yourself. And, and I know that um, your, if you look at the bio for what you have on, um, a couple of websites around the place as I was um, learning about your work. Um, you've got a specialist, a specialization in radiology, but what led to that? And then, and then obviously now um, onto this, this role as, as the chair of the, the, the practice committee. Oh, thanks, Jack. Yes, actually, I love hearing about other people's lives. And I had learned that Julie and I were probably in Papua New Guinea at the same time. Oh, um, wow. I was a small child because I had a, a, an army uh, parents. So we traveled all around wow. the world. So I was in oh, Port Moresby wow. for two years in the 80s. Yeah. So there wow. you go. That's um, amazing. I have a much more linear path. I graduated um, from school at 17 and went to vet school and I've, I've always been in a hurry. So I finished at 22 um, <laughs> straight through and um, marched into um, small animal practice in Sydney. And that was mm. a reflection of my rural upbringing and my rejection of all things rural at that time. Um, growing up in Wagga Wagga, I was very keen to leave. And I was there was no vet school in Wagga, so I was busting to get to Sydney, and I just adored the lights of Sydney. Um, and so I did four years in um, general practice um, in Sydney, which I just adored. It was just so exciting. And then I got really interested in specialty practice and radiology um, became my passion because it's a fabulous discipline that intersects with everything. You have to know a bit of surgery, a bit of medicine, a bit of pathophys, um, a bit of um, uh, pathology. Uh, so that's that's where I um, moved to Perth and did specialist training in radiology and became a fellow of the Australian and New Zealand College of Veterinary Scientists. And after that, I've worked in university and two pri established two private vet practices um, from scratch, not concurrently, mm -hmm. sort of. And um, that's been a fabulous path, learning about what it takes to make a thriving and successful practice and the importance of the team around the practice, um, particularly, um, you know, the nurses and the support staff that you build. And that's really, I think, the key. Um, one of my passions is building high-performing teams. And coincidentally, I've been um, involved with the Australian and New Zealand College of Veterinary Scientists for many years, including a term of president. And again, that's given me an intersection across the profession through all of those 25 chapters that I wouldn't have had um, in just my clinical work. 
And I, I think that's what's um, driven me to the happy place that I've found now working um, as the chair of the Sustainable Boards, a Sustainable Practice Committee for AVBC, because there's so much happening in our profession and it's just great to be able to get involved and hear different voices and, and be a bit of a representative voice for all of those different facets of the profession. Um, something that hasn't been really represented across, you know, the entire profession. So that's what's exciting about SPC. Wow. It, uh, it really never ceases to amaze me the breadth of experience that, that so many people that, you know, in the vet profession and particularly who we are lucky enough to have on this podcast can, can have. It's, um, it's just amazing. Um, so, Julie, we've got a few, we've got listeners who are both vet professionals um, and also just members of the public who are interested in the vet profession and vet mental health. Um, and I imagine there's probably a few from uh, both camps who might be a bit unfamiliar with what the, the Australian Vet Boards Council does. Um, could you tell us a bit more about the, the role of the AVBC and your role as Executive Director? I would be delighted to because um, it is a real mystery and uh, people suspect we might be some deep, dark organisation that's <laughs> hiding, but uh, I think it's because it can be a little bit hard to understand. What I might do with your permission, Cam, is step back a little bit and define profession, mm -hmm. what, what, what the veterinary Please, yeah. profession is, okay, and which might help people a little bit. Um, so profession, I'll give you the boring definition. It's a disciplined group of individuals with special knowledge and skills in a widely recognised body of learning derived from research, education and training at a high level, and these people are prepared to apply this knowledge and skill in the interest of others. I know that was a long uh, sentence, but uh, the, the key points um, differentiate professionals a little bit from people who aren't professionals. There's an extra responsibility. And uh, professionals are meant to adhere to a code of ethics and, um, and that code of ethics demands really high standards of behaviour mm. towards the public and also with their own professional colleagues. And um, it's important that the community, uh, all listeners understand that these codes are, uh, are um, enforced by the leadership, including veterinary boards. And, um, and that's, that, that's where um, the AVBC comes in. So... The, the special privilege that, that vets get in return uh, for having all of this skill and knowledge um, and recognition by the community is that they get to govern themselves. It's because the, 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 the skills of vets are so specialised, uh, it's really hard for anyone to understand, you know, some of, you try to understand what Zoe does. I don't understand what Zoe does, but, uh, you know, it's very, very specialised. Um, so, so it's actually vets who administer the Veterinary Act um, in each each state and territory. And because of that, you can imagine the spectre of conflict of interest. Mm -hmm. You know, what are you, you vets? You're all looking after yourself. Um, so the vet boards have to be really careful. Um, they've got to be constantly vigilant that um, they're not seen to be favouring veterinarians, not being seen to be unfair. So that can lead to really close scrutiny um, and the potential for anti-competitive behaviour is, is there. And there's a classic case in the US about five years ago of a dental board um, who went after teeth whiteners, of all people, um, in shopping centres. 
and um, and that was taken all the way to the Supreme Court in America, and they were found to be anti-competitive, and so it, it was not a good look for, for professional boards. And so uh, the boards themselves, including veterinary boards, had to redouble their efforts not to be seen to be um, conflicted. So the upshot can be that vet boards are seen by the profession as not being on our side. We pay our registration fees every year and they're not supporting us. Um, well, actually, that's true. <laughs> that is true. The vet board is on the side of the public and um, and the public have to be sure that they'll discipline any veterinarian who falls short of the high standards. So uh, it sounds a, a little bit complicated, but um, what where AVBC comes in, my organisation, is that we set those standards. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it's really... Um... It's good to make that definition of a profession too, because I think sometimes people speak about the vet industry and that has a, quite a different connotation to it. It seem, it feels more like a, a money-making procedure, but when you speak about yes. those ethics that come into it, I think that, that yes. really makes a, a big difference about the, the image of the profession and, and the standards that we're held to as well. No, I think that's a really important um differentiator the the ethical standards and um you know and it's, it's getting harder isn't it uh cam because you spend so much money getting a degree and you're still meant to um, put the public first mm. um and so um it, it and the the borderline of what what's ethical and what's not ethical is um, becoming fuzzier and uh and so you know we're, we're at a very challenging time i think um in, in our um, society. So each state and territory of Australia and New Zealand has a veterinary act and its own board. And these acts are pretty general. Um, they define what a veterinarian is really. Um, next to the act, there's a set of regulations and they spell out standards. And, and these standards can differ a lot from state to state and uh, jurisdiction to jurisdiction. That was all fine when you graduated from veterinary school like I did in Queensland and stayed there, um, no confusion at all. But um, it's becoming mobile like a lot of um, other professions. So the AVBC was formed in 1999 uh, to help harmonise all of these standards. Uh, so we started with the low-hanging fruit, the most straightforward ones, which, of course, are the educational standards. So we worked on the accreditation of veterinary schools and set up a veterinary schools accreditation advisory committee. And I'm really proud of uh, how far we've come in defining what is required to graduate from veterinary school and what's required to register as a veterinarian. And we've been working very hard to coordinate with uh, international bodies like ours, so the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons, the American Veterinary Medical Association, so that vets who graduate in Australia can go and work in the UK. Um, they're recognised in many parts of um, USA if they're AVMA accredited. And um, we can hold our head up and be very proud of the standards of our vets uh, now in Australia and also New Zealand. The other standards we've worked on are those for specialists and Zoe is um, very aware of those. Um, so we, we register veterinary specialists like veterinary um, radiologists or cardiologists and um, the other thing we do is we set standards for people from overseas who want to work in Australia so people come to Australia and we um, they go through the 
Australasian veterinary examination, which is uh, quite a process. And at the moment, it's it's really important. At the moment, we've got 75 people about to sit it. And if they pass, that's 75 more vets in that are very badly needed for our mm. profession. I hope that's a bit of a background for, for you on what ABBC does. Fantastic background and, and really succinct and clear, especially for me, as I've pointed out numerous times, um, not in the field. So I uh, suppose even even just a, a reassurance to me of, of the fact that the way these processes and, and regulations and ethics come about and are, are sustained, I had no doubt that mm. that was the case, um, obviously. But for me, that context <laughs> is really um, super duper important uh, to understand. And Zoe, I, quickly, just from you, I, a, a bit of a, a question just from a punter. What's the difference with like the ANZ CVS, like the College of Veterinary Surgeons? How do, how and why is that different to a vet board council? Yeah, it's a great question, actually. So the Australian and New Zealand College of Veterinary Scientists is a membership organisation that's actually a certifier or a benchmarker, which means that they do examinations and that they prove that you're at a certain standard. So after university, there aren't many ways to further your qualifications after your um, Bachelor of Veterinary Science or your Doctor of Veterinary Medicine. You might uh, join university again and do a master's or a PhD or you could sit the membership examinations of the ANZ CVS. And so all this organisation does is um, you turn up and you sit your exam and they say whether you have reached that level or not. And they also offer fellowship examinations, which is the specialist uh, exam. So it's a membership group, if you like, of people at a certain standard of the profession. So um, it's not really in the regulations um, or uh, standards um, uh, control, except to make sure that you've got to a certain benchmark of your knowledge. Quite different. Yeah, yeah. And that's good. And and like, thanks for for the veterinary folks who are listening, who've just gone, yeah, we know what it is, but (laughs) I'm here to qualify for those of us on the other side um, who who need a bit more information and context. Uh, there's there's a few ways I'm in a bit of a juncture here about which way can we go from here but really the, this discussion was to pull together this this topic of sustainability in the veterinary field now if we're talking about building or improving sustainability in the veterinary field we probably have to start with talking about why it has become unsustainable in a lot of ways um, and and I want us to have a bit of an open and honest chat about that because we hear about lots of things and there is research projects being carried out. There's surveys of the industry. We know that there's things floating to the top consistently that point out um, that the vet field is a hard industry to work in and it, it, it takes a lot of gumption and a lot of grit and um, a pretty thick skin. But the people doing it are human at the end of the day. So maybe just quickly, Zoe, you're now the chair of the Sustainable Practice Committee. Like, what, what does that mean? Why did that get set up? What was happening, what was being identified and created the need for for a standing committee like that to be created in the first place? So a a question that or a point that Julie raised, um, which was that the um, vet boards were a bit faceless when she graduated. Uh, I certainly graduated with a knowledge of the vet boards um, that consisted of a fear, if you like, 
of what might happen if I make a mistake. That was the sort of sum total mm. of, mm-hmm. I knew that there are some standards, and but I was always worried really about my performance as an individual. And I think where um, SPC has, has arisen is to look at, um, in a dry sense, the post Uh, registration lifestyle or lifespan of the veterinarian. So what that means is that we have a lot of stresses, um, Jack, as you know, in this profession and and Cam would um, agree. And a lot of those stresses um, relate to mental health or mental wellness at the moment, a subject that you're really familiar with. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why that is particularly um, poignant in our industry. But um, I think that there is um, a lot of fear of what might happen if we make a mistake. There's a lot of anxiety about the stresses of clients or bosses or employees or colleagues and and working with them. There's a shortage of vets. um, And there's a fear about what will happen if I make a mistake? Will I have to report this to the regulator or will it affect my my, uh, registration? So if we take a step back and we look a little bit more holistically at what is contributing to some of that stress, we know there's issues with getting veterinarians and qualified nurses as well. Um, We know uh, from talking to the vet boards that they actually think that they're doing a really good job. Um, They don't see themselves as scary or punitive, which is not really how many in the profession see them. So there's a real mismatch in perception about what's going on there. And then if we look at your lifespan in your career, you're going to need support. And I think if we uh, have a a good focus on what we've called continued professional um, education or um, development, it hasn't really been particularly effective in addressing some of the non-clinical or non-technical aspects of our career. How do we deal with conflict? How do we deal with a grumpy client? How do we have listening skills um, to deal with um, colleagues that have tension? Um, What happens? um, Are we looking after our own um, mental well-being? And what can we do to make sure that our careers are more sustainable? So it was those factors that fed into the formation of the SPC, looking at ways that we can draw all of these different facets together to make a more um, responsive or fit-for-purpose profession. And And I love that because it's obviously been identified as a as a, a need um, for this to happen. And we're hearing about things, small initiatives even to begin with, that are helping to turn the dial. And I think let's go to the space where we're used to talking about, which is the mental health and wellbeing, right? And that's, that's the basis of Flynn's Walk and Now Talk. Um, Julie... <laughs> You've, you've spent a lot of time around this caper and in your role as executive director. Hmm. What, what's your read on, on why the industry has potentially taken longer to start to break through those barriers of putting your hand up and asking for help and needing mental well-being and support to be entrenched in what vets do? Because I think from where I've sat, everyone in the industry is acutely aware of, of the situation and, uh, and the stresses and, and the burnout that can eventuate and in the worst possible situations, someone taking their life, right? My question, I've sort of moved away from <laughs> where I was initially going to ask you, but I suppose a, re- a reflection from you on why maybe that's taken longer than it, it should have to get to this point where we can really open up the conversation around getting support. Oh, Jack, as you know, um, it's multifactorial. There's mm. just so many issues going on. I'll, I'll put one out and to get the conversation going, okay, 
So for me, um, identity is really important. Mm. I am a veterinarian. Um, because I'm a veterinarian, um, I need to have these attributes. Yep. And I need to be strong. I need to be organised. I need to be competent. I need to have everything together. Um, I can't show any weaknesses. I can't, uh, I can't be mentally unstable. No one will trust me. And, um, and boy, I'm not going to show any of that to, to anyone, least of all my clients. Uh, in other words, I'm superhuman and no one's superhuman. And, and so uh, it's, it's becoming real about uh, what a veterinarian really is. Yeah, got to have a higher standard of ethics, sure, but um, what if you can't meet those, that, those standards? Um, you know, what if you haven't covered every single aspect of the curriculum? What if you forget um, some detail? You just have to go back and, and learn it. You know, there, every, every person is going to have gaps. So um, I think um, we have, in, in, in other words, we have unrealistic expectations for ourselves and we're really tough on each other. And I think that's a, a, not a great place to start. Um, so it, uh, to, to bring the veterinary boards back in, into this, um, veterinary boards in the past have often just sat back, waited for complaints, and, mm. um, and so they haven't been able to be more proactive um, about um, strengthening the veterinary profession, making it more robust, and I think um, this is what we're starting to realise now as um, the profession is under enormous pressure. Um, I could go on, actually, but I'll just stop uh, well, at I, this moment. No, it's, it's a good point. And actually something I was thinking about, and I had a conversation last week um, with somebody about this, a vet here in, in Melbourne, she's based down in, near the surf coast of Victoria. But um, the veterinary field in many ways has, it has advanced, right? And look back 20 years, 30 years, 40 years ago, veterinary medicine has evolved. It's a progressive field in the sense of technology advancements, medical advancements, research, animal care, but almost somewhat at the same pace, maybe faster, expectation from clients has increased at the same level. Um, I potentially 25 years ago, I had a pet cat. Now I've got a fur baby who is the most precious thing, you know, to me. Oh, you know, in amongst mm -hmm. my, my nearest and dearest. So there's been always an expectation on yourself, Zoe, as vets, right, and Julie and Cam, and you've had this increasing tidal wave coming of clients being like this cat, dog, budgie, turtle, whatever it might be, is so important to me and my family structure. How <laughs> do you think that has that just caught up as well? Is that reached a point now, Zoe, where we have to look at that too because there's an internal and an external pressure and expectation which is, it needs to blow a fuse at some point? Absolutely. And I think if you step back, it really is quite clear what's happened is that there's been a tsunami of knowledge and mm. improvement in technical knowledge which people have um, 
jumped on because they want the best for their pets. But as a profession, we've done very badly at reflecting about some of the things that keep our profession healthy. It's not Mm. embedded in CPD that you need to look after your mental wellness. In many professions, it is. For example, um, psychologists do really well here, but we know from our research that um, pharmacists do quite well um, in other jurisdictions, that um, Mm -hmm. you need to take time if you're an accountant or a lawyer in also having some reflective practice about what you're doing. And the veterinary profession hasn't really mandated or allowed that to be happening in a way that's counted. And if it's not counted towards your registration or your your ongoing um, career development, then people might not prioritise it. So to not have some time in our profession to reflect and um, think about our critical reasoning or our personal wellbeing or our personal development away from our technical skills has been very detrimental. And I believe that that is a large amount of the reason why there's so much pressure because that hasn't been counted or allowed for or accepted culturally in our profession. And as a bunch of high achievers, we are very prone to burnout. That's why we get into this profession. So it's nice Mm. to have time to reflect. But those of your listeners who are vets out there, think about it. How many um, hours in the week are you allowed to actually have that reflection time, you know, that's not in your own time? And so this is where the profession and the work can kind of gobble up and subsume you as a person. And I think that's what we have to keep reminding ourselves. We need to make this space. And so where do you think, um, and this is a question for both of you, where do you think that that this could fit in. Um, there's been discussions amongst vet professionals that I that I know about where we can where we can teach about well-being. Um, there are some discussions about selection for vet schools, which I sounds a bit tricky. Mm. Could it fit within the curriculum? Um, is it part of CPD? Um, it, it, yeah, it's a it's a tricky thing because I I've always felt that. Um, the the sort of well-being things that I remember from from vet school, it's the sort of stuff that people didn't didn't really pay attention to because they didn't understand at the time just how important it was. Um, amongst all of this anatomy and biochemistry and everything else, there were these these seminars and things which couldn't be examined. Um, because how on earth do you examine those sorts of things? Um, and so as a consequence, I think a lot of students who didn't, didn't see the, the relevance and importance of it at the time, who probably do now, um, unfortunately didn't attend because it wasn't compulsory. Um, how, how do we, how do we sort of, how do we do it? Where does it fit in? It's, it's a really tricky one, I think. I think it goes to the um, changing the mindset of the profession from the students and the universities Mm. are working on this and trying to have um, students that understand they're competent and not what they need to pass the test. But then also um, embedding that culture in our profession and it's going to take some time. But if we can design a continual professional um, development 
ecosystem that allows time and gives you credit for that sort of reflection or training, perhaps in um, difficult conversations. Goodness, it would work in all aspects of our life, wouldn't it? Not just our clients, it would work with our friends or our family, our spouses, all of those um, skills would be useful. I think that culturally, that will lead to a shift in our profession. So it's you're right, Jack, it's been um, a difficult thing because it's considered inverted commas soft and um, those things are difficult to measure. But the cost of not um, providing this sort of training and coaching as we evolve through our careers is, is great. So I think the boards are aware of this now and starting the conversation um, that uh, allows the profession in whatever uh, role they're working in, be they working in a you know, a government vet role or a clinical role or, you know, um, a, a role like Julie's that's not um, animal facing, giving everybody the skills to stop and, and be a bit growth mindset and reflect would be very beneficial, I believe, in the long run. Mm. Well, because I think if, if uh, from my read and from, from all these amazing conversations we've had through microphone and while we walk and do those, those things as well with our initiative, mm. um, the need to keep yourself up to speed with technology advancements and medication and, and research and stuff for the animal seems to be the really easy bit for, for the professionals because that's that's the learning, that's the career path, that's your income, that's your livelihood, right? And yet the introspective stuff, the stuff back to me, who am I, what makes me good at what I do and a, and a, and a, and a contributor to an amazing team, uh, you know, and, and a resilient environment is the stuff where we're stuck. And I, and. I will say I, I work in professional sport, um, not as a professional sports person, but I work in a in a in a para sport role, like supporting professional sport. I work for Cricket Australia, which people know who have listened before. But um, and interestingly, Julie earlier on, I was having a few moments of my own because we're a sense uh, kind of a upper level to individual state boards ourselves with the way that Cricket Australia yeah. functions. So I can relate to a lot of the things you were saying, but. Um, my point there is is that um, in sport they've they've created environments in teams now where the resilience and empathy and compassion and all these things are very very much a part of coaching programs now and support mechanisms to keep people healthy. The people at the core um, behind the scenes when they're not out kicking a goal or hitting a six. So I just think as well my own reflection more broadly is is that. Um, I, I would hate to feel like the vet industry feels like people are coming for it to go get yourself get yourselves together and get organised. We are, but it's because there's a care and a need for that growth to happen, and it has been done in other industries, and it mm. can work, and it does work. And I think even I'd even Julie like maybe a reflection from you on this, but. Can you can you look at other fields? Can you look at other professions? You mentioned law before. Um, you mentioned pharmacists and there's GPs as well, obviously. Can we learn and transfer that stuff in and, and tailor it and reword it and put the language around it for vet science? Yes, indeed. Um, and really interesting to hear you're associated with Cricket Australia because, you know, the, the concept of coaching is, is new to... Um, the veterinary profession, mm. but we've certainly taken it on with open arms. Um, in one of my other roles, uh, um, I, I'm on the board of um, the Australian Council of Professions mm. and we have so much in common. And let me say that mental health is not issues are not unique to the veterinary pro profession. Mm. 
And yes, we can learn from each other. Um, but we're still, I still feel like we're at the beginning of the track and there's a long way to go. Um, the medical profession has put a lot of effort into, into this and mm. um, they have specialists who coach on growth mindset, yeah. um, which is uh, removes the whole identity thing, the whole type A personality thing. Because um, you can imagine um, everyone in medicine feels that they're going to be at the top of their class, which, of course, can't happen. And mm. uh, and so you can imagine the dramas. So it's the same in veterinary science, a whole lot of high achievers, mm. trying to understand that um, who you are now shouldn't be tied up with, with what your competencies mm. are. You know, you're constantly growing uh, in your knowledge and that happens throughout your life. And um, and your identity shouldn't be tied up with that. Um, and so on on that matter, um, I'm thinking we're looking at accreditation standards for veterinary schools mm. at the moment, mm-hmm. and we've got a survey out. Let me put a plug in just while I pause. Um, if you do want to give input into education standards, accreditation standards in veterinary schools, up to um, registration we'd really appreciate your your input mm. there we're going to have a couple of surveys through the year we'll uh we'll share a link to that too as we publish this yeah yeah okay. thank you thank you so much so it's got to be uh, across the whole curriculum you know the hidden curriculum the taught curriculum uh the non-examined curriculum and hopefully we can find a way to assess it as well so that we can be giving this constant feedback on our um, undergraduates and graduates and well done again on that project and 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 putting that out there and, and the contribution um, from people within the field who can who can be involved in that and as I said we'll pop a link in the in the podcast uh, description for that and on our social pages but um, uh, something else I was looking at uh, you see I see lots of tidbit things pop up online and it's something that a, a vet who we connected with and had on the podcast last year Cam um, from Norway Helene uh, shared a thought around the veterinary pledge or potentially one that um, needs work or may not exist in some places. But she compared it to the to the oath that um, general practitioners for humans, human doctors um, take, or, you know, which I think is now the Declaration of Gen- Geneva. And there's a, there's a line in that. There's a whole whole lot of things to do with the standard of care and, and the Hippocratic Oath and things like that, which, which we're familiar with. But there's a line in that declaration that says, I will attend to my own health, well-being and abilities in order to provide care of the highest standard. It really kind of encapsulates what we're talking about here. Now, I did some digging and I could only find a pledge veterinarians in New South Wales. I'm not sure. Maybe, Julie, you can Mm. tell me otherwise. But my point is really that happened a few years ago pre-COVID and actually a media release mentioned the fact that there's a high need given the high demand of care that doctors uh, give to to patients and da 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 da. And I was like, my goodness, this press release could have been written in January of 2022. Like it was so poignant, but, you know, and the foresight of it as well. That's a delicate one to go near, but how do you how do you go near something like that? We have to, don't we? Like go go near that stuff and 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 think about it and talk about it. Yes, yes. And I love it. I loved that uh, podcast. And I really appreciated um, listening to those uh, mm. young women. They were so inspiring. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's a difference, Amazing. isn't it? It's uh, what is core to look after yourself or what is bolted on to the curriculum. And, oh, by the way, mm. it's really mm. important you learn all these technical skills and do not forget how to do this. Mm. And 
by the way, you know, if you can, <laughs> you know, do, here's some mindfulness um, apps that you can look at. So uh, I, I really like the idea that it's, I love your cat too, Jack, <laughs> um, it, that it's core to who we are and, and that we bring yeah. that into our, yeah. our identity as well. And I, I like the, mm. the idea of a pledge. And this is a, the story of our federation, uh, as you mentioned before. Each state is quite different and has um, different requirements. Mm. And I like the New, New South Wales pledge very much. That's, in, that's huge picture stuff. I, and I get that. And I looked and, and there was a there was a review process for that to be included in the GP's um, pledge. And that was acknowledged by the WMA and then adopted by the AMA here and the AMA in America, which is the same acronym, but means different American and Australian and obviously more broadly. So, yeah, I, 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 I tend to kind of do that. You can get kind of pretty ahead of yourself. So you were thinking about stuff like that. But I just I suppose this is our platform to kind of share thinking around how those sorts of things might may or may not be able to be affected. Cam, like, please, if there's something else you want to jump in with, um, go for it. But almost somewhat lastly, Zoe, what what is the timeline roadmap? Insert other buzzword here. But what is what's the route from here for the for this practice committee? And like, what are the hopeful outcomes? That, and and what can people expect to sort to start to see in this space? Oh, look, my timeline's yesterday, um, but that's yeah. that's standard for me. I, I want everything done yesterday. Look, um, this is, uh, we, we simplify it when we talk about it, and it's great to have a forum like this because the issues are fairly simple, but solving them is quite complex. Um, and part of the reason is that the states tend to retreat into their shells and say, we've got state legislation, we can't change it. So what the SPC um, with Julie's um, leadership is trying to do is to be really um, innovative about how we approach some of these problems um, and make some concrete changes right away that can really improve our profession. And I'd like to do um, give a bit of a plug here for our, for our veterinary nurses, um, because if we can recognise them as a profession across the entire country, then that's going to do a lot to support our veterinarians in clinical practice. So I think that would be uh, quite a useful thing and we're working actively on that. And in the next year or so, we'll have some um, uh, really good roadmaps or plans that can be put out that can help our profession decide um, which elements of this that we're going to follow. But individuals can start working on, on some of these elements straight away. Yeah. And thank you for kind of uh, broadening that scope a little bit as well in, in, in terms of this discussion, because we have talked professionals in terms of veterinary professionals, but we know there's the power of professionals, um, or, you know, or other contributors who, who are absolutely part of the heartbeat of making clinics and hospitals and emergency departments and all sorts of areas of care function. And we do always can acknowledge that in, in, in the work that we're trying to do as well. Um, so absolutely not not forgetting and it's good to hear that i know that um from chatting with the ava as well um they're certainly looking at elements of that as well of how it encompasses everyone so hopefully uh julie i think you mentioned the word harmony early on um which is a pretty powerful word which we've seen used in other senses of society um but i think harmony is a nice word to sort of encapsulate the fact that that's the approach to this isn't it um that it works authentically and that it works um, at an intrinsic level for professionals to flourish, really. And there's a few, there's a few adjectives for you. Um, that's kind of my sense on this: is that 
that's really where we're trying to bring this into land. Yeah, definitely. The team at the top need to work together and, um, you know, I think we can. I, I, I've got a lot of hope. Um, can I just say one more thing uh, that, that is missing? You know, we're talking around and around it, but um, a lot of it is guesswork uh, still and we we need more data, we need better research and um, that's that's something that we're hoping to work on to improve our methods of uh, collecting data um, that, that it becomes more routine we can and we can track our progress you're absolutely scientists at the core <laughs> and data is cam <laughs> I, we were talking about cam before we started recording cam we're talking about your potential rsi risk of mm. counting counting eggs um <laughs> yeah uh, and so there's absolutely data is integral to all of this and i probably i i go and i look probably in a sense more at the soft side of things because i'm more from sort of a um creative maybe holistic background myself um visual learner spatial sort of uh, physical hands-on worker in that sense and probably tend to go more to like how do we change the pledge but julie and zoe you're probably thinking more about let's get some stuff behind this and build the backbone and i think though that's where that harmony could come comes into it again, where we can click it all together. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, because people are probably listening and going, yeah, Jack, it's not that easy, mate, just to... <laughs> Which Cam, pulls, Cam, Cam will pull me up um, away from this and go, mate, listen, just let's get the data. <laughs> um, but thank you both uh, for, for being on board with this um, and the amazing work that you both continue to do and just being champions of change to to get this moving in the right direction because I believe that there's enough intent, there's enough, um, uh, th- there's, there's obviously benefit in this for, for everyone um, and I certainly feel like there's a groundswell of energy um, if we talk about the bottom up. The bottom is rising um, in terms of people wanting to see change so it's really positive to hear that from the top um, there's change looking to be made. I think, um, I think people just have to remember in the profession um, to be kind to themselves. Um, and if mm. um, I could impart that message as an individual practitioner, you know, we can't, you can only do your best. And then sometimes you've got to give yourself a break. Mm-hmm. And I think if we can apply that across the industry and, and with our work with our colleagues, that'll go a, a large part of the way. Um, it's useful to try and make space in clinical life, I think, to have that kind of reflection, even if it's just five to 10 minutes with your colleagues, because ultimately as humans, what we need is connection, right? In whatever workplace that we work in. And so even though this stuff isn't embedded in in legislation or regulation yet, um, every one of us, if we're aware of it, can start small steps in, in working on making those small changes. And I can see um, Cam nodding um, a lot because this is probably what you're thinking is that it's, it's up to everyone also. Definitely. You don't need to feel the weight of changing the profession, but little changes that you mm. make, don't you think, Cam? Yeah, definitely. And I think that taking those those little moments, and as you say, they only have to be small moments and nobody's going to reasonably deny you that to take, you know, five minutes out to just have a think about things, discuss things with a colleague. Um, it, it makes such a difference just to, to have that in your, in your day and not be rushing from one thing to the mm. next constantly. Absolutely. That is so true, you know, especially you get very strategic-minded. We need to do this and break it down into sub-jobs that we have to do. 
and uh, we forget to talk to the person next to us and uh, and you're so right Zoe and I um and we all need to do something, whatever we can from where we sit. And uh, ABBC is able to do a few things, but um, and the boards can do some, what they can do. Uh, we could all do a little bit better. Um, and if every single person in the profession and every single person um, who has animals, um, every client um, just thinks about um, ways of supporting and making the veterinary profession stronger, um, we'll get there eventually. And I, I think what you're doing is uh, really fabulous. Um, wading in there, it's in, in a very complex field. Um, and uh, I think you're doing great. So thank you. Yeah, thanks. And well said. And thank you, uh, Julie, for your time and your work and joining us on the podcast today. And Zoe, thanks again for your time and commitment for the early wake up as well and um, allowing us to jump in on um your busy schedule and have a chat my pleasure thank you yes thank you both a great discussion cam there around so many so many things um so many possibilities of ways that we can start to improve the well-being and wellness approach i suppose within the field and embed it in what it means to be a veterinary professional um, in the purest sense but Again, yeah. more broadly, outside of just the veterinarians, um, a holistic well-being approach that can come through culture shift and and hopefully some change to to potentially governance and and accreditation and things like that. Something I'll be very keen to watch with a close eye, which I'm sure you will as well. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of opportunities there, um, so it'll be really interesting to see what what happens from the Sustainable Practice Committee, and um, yeah, what happens with a lot of the the folks that we've been speaking to. In the immediate term, we always like to give out um, support services, Cam, that are available for for those who may be feeling like they need a little bit of help or assistance, or that someone that they know uh, is in need of help. Of course, there's amazing resources like Beyond Blue on 1300 or jump on the website and have a look. There's Are You OK's website as well. Kids Helpline, of course, if you've got kids. Um, Headspace for, for youngsters um, in your youth. Um, and then, of course, uh, Lifeline in the event of a crisis where you're needing a little bit more support, 131114. And there's a suicide callback service and also triple zero in an emergency. So um, all that's out there and can part of what we're doing is having these conversations, but also trying to encourage people to find those support streams. Yeah, definitely. Um, so thank you, mate, for your time as always. And uh, thank you. Yeah, we're looking forward to a few more discussions to come. We're halfway now mm-hmm. through uh, the first season for this year, but still a lot of time left to have some great conversations and keep this moving in the right direction. And of course, don't forget our walks are coming up. Sunday, mm-hmm. May 1 in Melbourne excited for that and Sunday May the 22nd in Canberra but stay close to our Facebook page and Instagram for that thanks mate and uh, we'll talk to you again soon sounds good